Welcome. I'm Sarah Pollack. And I'm Quinn Faison. And together, we coach parents of preteens, teens, and young adults at Plan P. We have been there and done that. And when the going got tough, the P was for many things and always for practice, patience, and pause. The work that we do now as coaches has the full support and approval of both of our amazing children and teachers, Ellie and Harrison. So if you're a parent, you've come to the right place. We're going to give you tools to practice clear communication with your children, which will improve your relationships. We are so honored and excited to have you join us on this incredible journey where learning is in the pause and perfection is found in the practicing. Let's get moving. Welcome. We are so grateful to be here. So grateful for you joining us for our first ever podcast. And we're thankful to all those who got us here, which would include our kids. <laughs> we appreciate you more than words will ever be able to speak. And they are amazing. And that's who got us to do in this work. And you will hear lots about them and lots about us if you continue to listen. So we hope that you will join us on this journey each week. So it's our hope to bring you a podcast that has actionable tips. Right. It doesn't matter how old your kids are, 13, 30, what we are here to talk to you about is how to build healthy, trusting relationships with your kids as they transition to adulthood. And I don't know about you, but I'm still transitioning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someday we'll be adults. Yeah, we're working on it. Our goal is to actually give you tips on what to practice. We've listened to lots of podcasts, read lots of books in our journey and I often would end them, finish them, read a passage and say, yes, that, and then be like, now what? What do I do? So we will be giving you, as Quinn said, actionable tips to actually practice. For this first one, we're really going to try to just tell our story. It's really the first piece of our story, the story that jettisoned us into paying attention to the turmoil of adolescence and, you know, that every family is going to do things differently. Yep. Everyone's different, every individual and every family. And we hope as parents, you hear something that gives you hope because we absolutely positively have been what felt like in the trenches, sometimes ignoring we were in the trenches, sometimes <laughs> very aware and just trying to ignore it because we didn't have any idea what to do. And we were terrified, or I'll speak for myself. I was terrified. So keep listening and learn something about yourself in listening and practicing. Because our experience is that you can't truly give what you haven't given yourself. Makes sense to me. I also want a disclaimer that this is our story. Every but, family is different. Yeah. So this is the path that worked for us. But there are a lot of different paths and ways to do this. And um, right. we don't think this is the right way. It's the way that worked for us. In fact, there isn't a right way. If there was a right way, guess what there would be? A book called The Right Way and everybody would read it and have no problems. Well, we learned a lot of new practices through having worked through those teen years with our children who are now, did I mention, not teenagers anymore? 
They are fully formed adults. In fact, I had Allie 20 something eight years ago, 28 and a half years ago. Allie is marvelous, wonderful. And then two and a half years later, I had their younger brother, Harrison, who was equally magnificent. Both of them were as babies are, adorable and fabulous. And um, I had them with someone else, not Quinn. I'm the step-parent. So Mm. when we got together, the kids were five and eight. Allie is the oldest one and Harry is the younger one. Allie is the kid who's sort of, I want to say easier because that's what everyone ever sort of said. Harrison is very active, very physical, has been from the get-go. Like I was going to say, he's madly coordinated. He can, he can draw and he can skateboard. And he, I mean, he's... Yeah, his grandparents tell about picking him up, which they did once a week from preschool. And Harrison would run and jump down like, you know, four or five step drops. And other parents would look aghast. And Harrison would just, you know, keep doing it and be fine. Yeah, well, one of the other things about him that I noticed, because I didn't come into the picture until he was about five, um, was that he paid attention to how things were done before he he went. He didn't just dive off cliffs. He watched other people make those jumps first, and then he'd do it. So right. he was always... It seemed like a daredevil, and yet it wasn't. It it was thought out. It wasn't uh, crazy. No, you always used to say he's fine. Look the other way, Sarah. So yeah. So you came in when they were five and eight. We started dating. We had known each other a long time before that, which probably didn't hurt. <laughs> and we got married when they were nine and eleven. Right. And that was like maybe two months after we went to a parenting education night at their school. <laughs> Remember that parenting education night, Quinn? Yeah, I came away from that parenting information night thinking, could we delay it about 10 years, this marriage thing? But you didn't do that. No, I didn't. So we went off into the teen years together. Right. It was sort of the the, the Brady Bunch had a split level home, right? <laughs> Ours was sort of a, we had two foundations. There was the foundation that I had with their other parent, then there was the foundation that I built with them, just me. And then there was the foundation that you built with them. And then there was the foundation that we all had together. Yeah. And we got to rebuild or maybe just build up. Yeah. No, I think for you, it was rebuilding. And for me, it was a building. Mm, right. You, you, because you came on right at the alley was 11, which is like pre-teen. Yeah. And, they, and I think the whole step-parent dynamic is for another podcast because... Yep, that's a whole thing. Uh, it's a whole, it's a whole a different many, thing. Many podcasts, probably. Yeah. Allie was the child who made me think that I had nailed parenting. <laughs> <laughs> School was easy for them. Reading was easy for them. You know, they, they, they appeared to struggle not much. I mean, you know, there were kids, so I had a realistic expectation that, you know, I well, would have some stuff to do. And they're very articulate and able oh, yeah. to, you know, yes, communicate what's going on for them with seeming ease. Right. And they, they've done that pretty much their entire lives. And what we've learned is that they are conflict adverse. 
which means they wanted to make it look easy for us. They, I, I think that means a lot of the conflict was internal yep. and didn't, didn't appear to us to be there at all. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we've learned through this whole process is we can make things look good. Right. Even children can do that. And then we were a little more humbled at the time <laughs> by Harrison. I want to say that Harrison as a small person, oh my goodness, preschool, those were Harrison's really good educational years because he just was, he excelled there. The teacher told me one day when I went to pick him up when he was like this adorable little toddler <laughs> that some parent had just turned to them as they looked out the window onto the kids on the little playground area. And this parent had turned to the teacher and said, so is that kid really, really coordinated? Or should I be really, really concerned about my child? Like Harrison just lived his dream life in yeah. preschool. The minute that there was sort of formal education, things started being a little rougher, but we made it through, right? We got through first grade, second grade, we, you know, Middle school got a, they were, a, well, the thing that happened in middle school was that they said you should get him tested for, um, you should have neuropsych done. Right. That would really help us help him and his whatever, identify what learning differences he yeah, might Yeah, and what are the supports that he needs right. in so, order to optimize his ability to learn. Right. So I think part of the story at that point is to mention that we did all that. I did lots of reading and listening to podcasts and all that stuff that I do and determined that the best thing was to um, medicate him for what he had been di One of the things that he had been diagnosed with, which was ADHD. Right. And borderline. But I had read that, you know, if you don't medicate, then they're going to self-medicate in high school. Yeah. And, and we had some difficulty with the medication. Some? Yes, because he would try to take it, but it had either side side effects. He didn't like how it made him feel. I mean, yeah. so it wasn't that he was fighting us on it, although it wasn't really working for him. Either. No, with hindsight, I think he was being honest. He was like, yeah, this isn't working. Right. And and some things got easier and then they got harder. Anyhow, through the years, we, we switched those medications a lot, a lot right. to try and find the right one because he wasn't. And, and, you know, the, the, the psychiatrist was listening to him. So anyhow, middle school that went off to high school. His first year seemed okay. I was so happy his first year of high school <laughs> because I was like, yes, this, this is it. He seems to be making friends. I don't know about the influencing people part, but he was like, he seemed to be content for the mm. first time in seemingly a long time. Yeah, and then sophomore year, he started having bullying and seeming more restless. Yeah, no, things started to sort of bubble up, as it were. And by bubble up, I mean we started getting calls from school. That's right. That school started giving us all this helpful, helpful information. But I also think at the beginning of his sophomore year, probably like a week maybe before his sophomore year, Allie had gone off to college and their other legal parent moved far away from the city. So Harrison was left with us, <laughs> just us. Yeah, lucky boy. Seven days a week. So what happened when we started getting all these calls and suggestions of a tutor might help, of this might help, of that might help, um, 
I kept saying, oh, that poor kid, because, you know, this he, he had this traumatic event happen and now he's stuck with us. And I sort of rolled my eyes and even at the time recognized that that might be not the best thing for him. But I didn't know what to do about it. And the calls, those calls and letters, they kept coming. Yeah. It felt to me like sort of was putting the blame, if you will, and I'm using air quotes for that, um, on us. Like these, we needed to do things we to, to, to change right. what was going on for Harrison. Right. Because clearly something was going on in sophomore year. Made it through sophomore year. Um, junior year, got, things got started getting, I mean, like it was a, it was progressing. Right. It probably progressed through sophomore year. I think we sent him somewhere that summer outward bound or there was that biking trip thing. And he, he went along with that and he always showed up fine for the summer stuff. Pretty much didn't come back with a lot of connections from them, but had good experiences. Junior year started getting real. First of all, even sophomore years, there was weed smoking going on. Right. Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm not sure we knew that that was happening sophomore year. Yeah. But we may have, I don't know. We've forgotten some stuff. We don't hold on to all of it, but definitely by junior year, it was very clear. It was like, and we had a really, really, really hard and fast rule. Like we have a zero tolerance in the house, within our household for drugs. Yeah. I think our view on smoking pot was not, you know, you should never do it, but couldn't happen in this house. Right. We had a hard and fast rule of no drugs in the home. And that was clearly being broken pretty regularly. Right. And homework wasn't being done and bullying was happening. I mean, we were aware of some of it. There was other that maybe we weren't aware of it. Communication started to break down. We were fighting over everything. It was now the weed. It was um, use of the phone. It was use of social media. It was schoolwork getting done. It was oh, hello, the essential, I don't know a single parent who hasn't had this problem. The morning wake up, get the kid to school thing was just like, it got crazy. It was bad. I mean, it was just like the fighting at the door was intense at his door. Yeah. Like I would be pushing, he would be, I would be pushing, trying to get in. He would be pushing, keeping me out. Um, It just got worse. The school would call and the school would call and he would not want to go to school every morning. And it was just like this. I, I could spend an, a whole podcast just listing all of the conflicts. I was getting more and more afraid. Yeah. And part of that fear was that he was really going somewhere that was scaring me. And I was really afraid that it was all my fault. So I had to fix it. And I did not know how. Yeah. And it, I mean, in retrospect, it felt a little like um, we were trying to fix the symptoms and not really looking at what the the whole issue was. The school started, the, the interactions with the school were much more. So, you know, we should get a therapist. We got that. We should get a tutor. We got that. We should get another neuropsych. We should, got that. We should, we should, we should. And all I took from that was, <gasps> we are doing it wrong. It's my fault. So I did something wrong. It's it, and, and then I did a lot of the blaming it on the circumstances that I have no control over, like Allie going to college and 
the other parent moving away. Like, what do you do? I thought it was at the end of the road. So what we did do, because we knew something had to be done, right? So in a sort of dramatic moment of him being like, I can't stand this school another minute. He wasn't going to it all that often by that point. I mean, I would drive him there and drop him off and then he'd walk away even some mornings. And that was a whole nother fight. So we did what we could. We were like, okay, this school isn't the right match. And I don't remember how calm I was about it, but we we yeah, sort of I think we were pretty calm about that. We went to school. We went up to the front desk thing. We said we're withdrawing him. Like we just needed something to change, and that was something we could change. So we pulled him out of there. He got into a local, the local high school, high school, public high school. Right. We'd already toured all these other schools. He got to the local public high school, and that was pretty clearly not thing that was doing much i mean yeah, we were I mean, we, within weeks we were talking to that counselor i was gonna say he liked it because he wasn't going really right <laughs> he would walk in the front door and out the back right essentially and we live in california um san francisco bay area across a bridge and also on public transportation you can get to a place called albany and we told him he, this school was in albany and he said okay and then we realized he thought we meant Albany, New York. So he was willing to go across the country. Right. Which we didn't really put together. Like with hindsight, it's like, oh my God, he knew he was in trouble. Right. And he was willing to, like, without any pushback. Like he didn't say, no, I won't do that. So we were deep in our shit and not paying a lot of attention. Deep in our fear. Deep in our concern, deep in whatever it was we were in, it wasn't necessarily good. He went to that school. He finished his junior year. That felt like sort of a miracle. That school went moderately well, by which I mean it was really, really expensive. Yeah, it was basically one-on-one tutoring in subjects so he could go at his own pace. Right. Which is why he graduated the Friday before his senior year started. I mean, he just barely got all the credits together. Right. And we, and I was very proud of him, which is, you know, both good and bad. Right. I think I did a lot of, of sort of like, he's so good. He finished his junior year. Isn't that amazing? And he had had such a hard time. And, and that is true. Mm -hmm. This is the, the pause. Like if you ever find yourself like, that we didn't notice that four schools in 12 months might be red flags. Schools ain't the problem. Right. And the kids not the problem either. I mean, that's, we were struggling too. Right. Then he started senior year, which again, just like at another school, it was crazy because things at home were getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And the, the educational consultant had said, very gingerly. Have you thought about a therapeutic boarding school? Right. We hadn't before, but now we were. So we called them back and they said, okay, well, if that's the way you want to go, you have to also, they have to be clean and sober for 30 days before you send them, which of course wasn't going to happen in our home, apparently, because we'd been trying for like 18, 24 months. (laughs) So... The answer to that is to send them to a wilderness program. And there are a lot of different wilderness programs. We vetted ours pretty carefully. 
there are good ones and there are ones that are more about, um, I don't want to make it good or bad. There, there are ones about con- that are more controlling than the ones that we. Right. Now I want to pause here because therapeutic boarding schools and wilderness therapy programs are a hot topic these days. Um, and what we are talking about is not boot camp, and or outward bound or outward bound. Right. We, we, we did that and we know other people who've done that. Um, therapeutic boarding schools are not all the provost school. Right. They really aren't. We know someone who was sent to the provost school as a teen because their parents were at their wits end. I mean, that's the thing about thinking you're at the end of the road. It's the end of the road. It's not the end of the road. What we realized was this was a place where we got to stop and make another decision which road did we want to take? You described the wilderness thing so beautifully. Well, so it's a way of taking the child out of their current environment where they are struggling and bringing them someplace where they are accountable to themselves, right? In the wilderness, you know, it starts to rain. It's not anybody's fault that it's raining and you get wet. It's just raining. And if you don't know or can't put your tent up properly, then that's on you that you haven't, you know, put it up properly because you were trying to get out of the rain too quickly. You know, it, it, it forces them to be accountable to themselves in a way that is not, you know, my parents say, and I can, I can fight against that. You can't fight against rain. (laughs) Right. And they're out there with, you know, counselors and other kids who are also struggling in the same sort of ways. I mean, they match those groups up. It's really helping them majorly hit the reset with other kids and with therapists. And it was reset for us, right? Absolutely. And we didn't really know that at that point. We started really thinking about this as a, like, this is... This is our best option. Yeah. We're not at the end of the road, but we got to make a turn somewhere, somehow. I think it's important to to vet these schools and to make sure that they fit you, just as you vet other schools, right? right? Do uh, Is it going to fit the, the issues that your kid have? Because there are different ones and they're all, I mean, they're... Right. We looked at a, several of right. them and dismissed one of them almost instantly. Yeah. Because we were like, yeah, that's not our vibe. It's not. Right. And it's not, it wasn't fitting the problem that the problems that we were having. Right. I think you said once, you know, this is like vetting any other school. You want to look at all your options and find people who you trust to help you. There are lots of reputable places. Yeah. And all the reputable places will have. Um, parents you can call for their experience, which we found helpful. And we also received calls afterwards from parents and hope that we were helpful. Right. And I want to take a pause because this really is a hot topic of the moment because the Provo school has gotten a lot of press and, and thank, thank goodness for that because they were doing harm. There are places out there doing harm that shouldn't stop you from considering these options, if they are within your reach, they're not all the provost school, they're not all harmful, but make sure that you work with people and that you feel comfortable and you have enough people, a therapist, people in recovery world, um, 
educational consultants, coaches, and, you know, friends and family as well, if you trust them. Yeah, because it's a, again, it's about getting the fit right. If your kid needs this, then this can be an incredibly fabulous answer. For your whole family. And, and the, not every, and it's not going to work for everyone. So, and, but the wilderness is a really good place to start. Yeah. This is, a, it was a really hard decision and it was, it was hard before, hard during and hard after. Um, yeah. I mean, it was because you, you worry, is this the right thing? And you're, you know, is he going to hate me forever? I'm sending him to Utah and it's going to be 10 degrees and it's our relationship. Like our communication with him is basically non-existent. The conflicts were keeping us connected. Like that was the thing that we sort of came to and the wilderness felt like, okay, well, this is a conscious move. They've got a plan. And we found out more details on this wilderness stuff, which is, well, one of the ways, there are two ways you can get kids to wilderness. One is, they go with you, no big deal. Or you can just hire transport for your child. These are words that no parent ever thinks they're going to say. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, we made a decision that we would tell him. Yeah, we told him in advance. The day before. Right, which is in advance. <laughs> um, so we made this decision. I got tickets to Utah. We called him downstairs and he didn't even sit down, I don't think. No, he just, he was hanging out in the doorway. Right. Standing. We both see him there standing there like a teenager leaning against the doorway. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? (laughs) I said, or we said, you're going away. You're going to this place and we're going tomorrow morning. And he sort of stood there and said, okay, is that all? Can I go? And he went upstairs. You know, he would come down and ask a question and then disappear and then come down and ask another question. He then asked if he could go out with his friends, to which we said, sure, that's your last night. Have a... Yeah, he said, it's my last night. Can I go out? Yeah. Because I wouldn't have suggested. No, no. But (laughs) he asked if he could go out and we said, sure. Yeah. And then there were texts throughout the night. Texts throughout the night. And clearly talking to his friends was... They were like, what have you... More and more... Um, or less and less amenable to the idea. (laughs) Which means that he did come home that night. He did. The next morning he woke up. Allie came to drive us to the airport and Harrison was like, nah, I'm not going. And we pushed a little and that was a little hard. I think that was hardest for Allie. Yeah, because Allie didn't know about the option for transportation. Right, and Allie thought this was going to be, I mean, we were all looking for relief. Yeah. And finally we just said, Allie, go. And then I went down to the basement and whispered on my phone to the transport people. Well, plan B in this case. (laughs) We'd already gone through the whole alphabet at least twice in the years before that. We realized he was going to turn 18 in six months. Right. I woke up, literally woke up in the middle of the night, like sat up in bed at 2 a.m. and said, oh, my God, he's 17 and a half. If we don't do this now... The next thing he's going to be is 18. And at 18, we cannot send him anywhere because he will be. At 18, they become legal adults. And that means that as a parent, you cannot, they have to, they have to consent. 
to, right. to programs. Right. So middle of the night, big black SUV pulls up in front of our house at 3.30 a.m. We go down and have a brief little conference and whispers, and they lay out exactly what they're going to do, which had been laid out to us earlier as well, which basically was go up, introduce us, say goodbye, and get out of eyeshot, shot, out of earshot. And so that's what I did. I went over to him. I kissed him on the forehead. I told him how much I loved him. I told him that Gabe and Andre, the two bouncers behind me, I didn't say the bouncers piece, (laughs) but that's what they were like. We're going to take him because when he was little, I could pick him up and make him safe. And I, he was too big. I couldn't do that anymore. And then I loved him. Yeah. And then I went downstairs. Yeah. Then we went back down into the unfinished basement and uh, waited till we heard that, heard the door close (gasps) again. Uh, Yeah, I think you cried for a week. I cried a lot. Yeah. I used to say that was the worst day of my life. Mm. And in some ways it absolutely was. Please let that be the worst day of my life. It was so painful. It was so painful. And it also opened up everything. I was going to say, and you would do it again in a heartbeat, right? (laughs) I would do it again. Uh, Yeah, I would absolutely, you know, I'd do a million things differently. Right. So that we wouldn't get there, but. Who knows? We got there. And here's the thing. Harrison, now we get to see these kids all the time. We had breakfast with one last week we had dinner we we get to spend time with their friends and their significant others and they call us like we have they trust us right we trust them like i don't know what i would do if i had to do over again i'd do it all differently but we don't get to do that but we did absolutely as a result of making that impossible, hard to believe I ever could have made decision. We absolutely, that was like the first brick in rebuilding Mm. this relationship that is magnificent now. Right. I mean, those kids. And it it was the start, we thought it was the start of, of his, working on stuff, but really it was the start of our working on stuff. Yeah. Beginning of us starting to look at our, what we had, how we had contributed to the environment. Right. And I think that part of what made the whole, the, it, the sweet spot for him was that we were entirely ready. I yes. had, I mean, and this is the parent, step-parent thing. You were so good. I, I that transport, called us at 3.30, and I think at 2.45, you were saying to me, if you change your mind, it's okay. Like, this was ultimately... Well, yeah, it was ultimately your decision because 
you were the legal, yeah, the legal guy. And the other parent had given me that decision making ability, yeah. so not to that. But the sweet spot was that I was a hundred percent. I was ready. Yeah, it would have been a mess if you had not been sure, or if I oh had my coerced God. you, you would have. Yeah, you that would have been bad. Blamed me, you know. If I had continued, but we set, we were consistent, and we set this boundary, and we held to, and that was the, so loving, mm. like really with hindsight, and I, I think I knew that somewhere in my being, absolutely, that I wasn't doing this to get rid of him at all. Like, at all, at all, I wanted what we now have. Right. We now have a really, like, those kids, they call us. They call us when they're struggling. They call us. They call us when they have successes. They call us when they have decisions to make. Well, and they often ask us what we think they should do because they know to trust us that we're not going to tell them what to do. Mm. I was telling them what to do because I was afraid that I didn't know what to do. And we've all learned together. We had a foundation of love we, that never actually left. We've rebuilt upon that and we keep on building on it. Yeah. No. And I do think love is the ultimate foundation. Yeah. Right. If the kids know that you love them, you can rebuild on top of that. And and I think that what we find a lot in our work is that parents forget that. Yeah. They are they afraid. do know that. Right. Kids do know that you love them. Right. But we don't trust ourselves and we don't trust that something's not going to be ruptured. Right. And you don't have to, it didn't have to be ruptured. So, And that's the thing about these relationships with our children. Again, whether they're three or 13 or 30 or however old rebuilding takes time. If you throw together a house and I could get back to the three little pigs if I wanted to or something like it, it takes time to rebuild. There's a book called the parallel process. And one of the many books that we have read the many, lots of them assigned as homework as parents when he was in wilderness, but, but we read all of those books. I mean, we started, we, we got busy. We didn't say, Oh, thank God he's gone. We were like, okay, we get to really unpack how we got here. Right. Under, build better understanding. We did so much work. Yeah. And, and we continue to this day. And easier to do that work when we weren't in constant battle. I mean, oh, yeah. that being able to reset by sending him to wilderness was a big part of how we were able to start looking at what we, how we had contributed to right. the battles, how right. we had contributed to. And how little responsibility I'd really taken. Mm. Like that's the thing that's so hard about the teen years is like, you want them to be independent, but you don't want them to be independent because look at what they're doing. Right. Yeah. And I was just thinking in order to rebuild trust, you have to be trustworthy yourself. Like right. it, it had to come from both of us. It couldn't just be right. Harrison changing. It right. had to be all of us changing. Right. We said at the beginning of this episode that we would be giving you things to practice during the week. And this week is to practice paying attention 
to the choices that you make? And we make choices all the time without thinking about it. I mean, I just automatically order my chai latte with almond milk. I don't think about it anymore. So it's a this is a practice of noticing that you make choices. Right. You may have made that choice 16 months ago right. when you stopped drinking coffee. And it's just that choice and that works for you. I make choices every day when I get in the car and I look at my GPS and I choose, hmm, what other choices do I have? You're telling me I want to go this way. I want to go that way. It's just bringing awareness to all of the choices. Perhaps they impact your children. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we also choose how we respond. And, you know, Mm. like these are also automatic, but but choices. And we forget that they are choices. Listen closely. This is not for judgment. This is just for knowledge. We're just collecting knowledge about what we do and what we choose. Right. This is not an opportunity to overthink the choices you make. If you like your almond chai latte, go for it. Just pay attention. That's a choice. Right. This is not about trying to figure out where you're going wrong. It's also figuring out where you're going right. Thank you so much for tuning in to Plan P. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and gained some valuable takeaways that you can practice this week. And remember, change takes time and practice. To stay connected with us and ensure you never miss an episode, make sure to hit that subscribe button and share our podcast with friends, family, or any other parents who could benefit from our discussions. You can also keep up with all things Plan P on Instagram and TikTok at Plan P is for. If you have any burning questions or specific topics which you'd like us to address on the show, please just email us at connect at planp.us. If you want to talk to one of us, go to our website at planp.us to learn about us and schedule your free coaching session online. All details and links will be in the show notes. We can't wait to reconnect with you on the next episode. See you next week.